You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, we are continuing through the book of Malachi, and um, actually it's Malachi, but I thought it looked kind of mafia, Malachi-like. Uh, we've been talking about what God the Father, not the Godfather, but God the Father, what he has to say about some very important issues of our life and he actually gets pretty strict, pretty stern, like a dad that's kind of sitting you down for a real tough lecture, a tough challenge. So uh, the, the boss, God Almighty, is here to talk to us today. Uh, Malachi 1.1, I want to reiterate this. He starts off by saying this. It says this, it says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through, I wanted to say Malachi, through Malachi. And he starts off by saying, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, I want to reiterate this because he's, he's getting pretty stern with Israel, and it applies to us as well in many ways. So he's getting pretty tough with this. He's being pretty harsh. And he says, you know what? I want you to know right off the top, I love you. My motivation is, is that I deeply care for you. So stand back because here it comes. And then God proceeds with the wax. Literally, it's a spanking almost. Judah has unmet expectations uh, that, that, that they have with God that are unfair. And Malachi is the response. In chapter 1, they were questioning God's love. In chapter 2, they were questioning God's faithfulness. Also in chapter 2, they were questioning God's ability to hear prayer and if God was even there. And now, in chapter 3 and at the end of chapter 2, they begin to question God's holiness and they begin to question God's justice. They begin to say, God, if you're really good, then why in the world do you allow what is happening in the world to take place? Well, when you begin to question God's holiness and ability, stand back. Huge mistake. So here's where we begin. We're going to end where we left off last week. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. God says he's sick of it. He says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Literally, that means God says... You make me tired. I am so sick of hearing you moan and groan and complain about who I am. Now, first of all, I want to explain that God doesn't actually get tired. He is the Lord Almighty. He is self-existent, self-sustaining. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to encourage you. He doesn't need a day off. The day of rest is for our sake, not for his. He is all life. He never grows weary. That is what's known as anthropopathism. It's basically God talking like a human so we could understand that God is getting sick of their attitude and their twisted view of him. Well, what's the view of them that he's getting sick of? Well, he says, they go, how have we wearied him They were asking the messenger Malachi, you ask by you, it's when you say this, when you say all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. Man, basically saying God is not holy. They're saying God surely must be approving of evil things because look around, there are evil people getting successful. There are evil people getting good things that appear to be blessed that appear to have things go in their favor for their benefit and they're looking at all of these wicked people having good things happen to them and they're thinking surely God is evil surely God approves of what is happening 
And he's pleased with these evil people because good things are happening to him. And then he says, by the way, you might want to write this down. Blessed is not necessarily evidence of God's favor because there's a lot of people who don't have God's favor who have good things happen to them. That's a whole other message. And then he goes on to say, this is another thing that makes me tired. I'm sick of your attitude is when you say, where is the God of justice? Where is this God of justice? Not only are good people... Not, I'm sorry, not only are bad people having good things happen to them, but the innocent people are being oppressed and are having worse things happen to them. God, where's the justice in that? They begin to say, God, not only are you not holy because you approve of the wicked, but God, you're not just because of all the pain and suffering and the oppression and the poverty that goes on in this world. Well, God says, you know what? I'm sick of it. You've wearied me. I'm tired of hearing this. Well, this desire to want justice, I believe, is the stamp of God on our soul. And this is an age-old question. It's known as the study of theodicy. It's the study of God's justice. Job, one of the oldest books in the entire Bible, is written before Genesis, actually. It predates Genesis as the oldest book written, and it covers the entire issue of Job is the issue of theodicy. God, are you just? This is something Job said. You might know his story. He lost everything. He loved God. He lost everything. This is something he said. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 21, it says, Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe from and free from fear. The rob of God is not on them. He's assuming that things that that are taken from them or God robbing from them. They send forth their children as flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. That's uh, basically guitars and drums. Uh, They make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity. They'll go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. They're saying, you know what? We don't even need God. Look how great our life is. Obviously, God is no help to you. We don't need him. And he says, who is the Almighty? This is what the people say. That that we should serve him. What would we gain by praying to him? Here's the deal. There's a whole bunch of people who are evil in hearts and evil in actions. And life's going quite well for them. This was 3,000 years ago. We're still dealing with it today. And this is, this is a cry that many of us have. Is it worth it to follow God? I mean, if, if living for God brings worse conditions or more difficult times or at the least doesn't change anything in my life condition-wise, then why should I serve him? Why not just enjoy being wicked? Have you ever felt that way? You don't have to raise your hand. You ever felt that way? You ever wondered, God, why does that person get the break? Uh, Why was I not healed? Uh, God, why do you allow what is happening in Africa? Why do you allow what is happening in in Indonesia? Why do you allow, uh, you know, the prostitution, uh, slave trade? Why do you allow children to become soldiers? God, why do you allow the countless number of people in our town who are abused and hurt to go without any kind of justice? God, why are, do you allow the millions of the wealthy blow millions of dollars when literally $20 could save a person's life? We are fascinated with celebrity 
lifestyles. There's a show on HGTV that we thought was kind of cool for like five episodes, and then it just started making me sick because the more upset I got about it, it was this HGTV Million Dollar Rooms. Maybe you've seen the show. It's fascinating. They're like walking through one room. It's one room in their house in multi-got-to-be-billion-dollar homes because this one room is like $5 million for the room. The contents of the room are a million plus. And he says, yeah, this bathtub here was uh, flown in, chipped, and done this. It's one of a kind. This is a $800,000 bathtub. Uh, the stairway here in the floor, uh, this is a $600,000 dollar floor in uh, this whole room and they go through every item it's like wow that's beautiful that's fascinating and and it is you know they got the they put a outdoors indoors and they turn their basement or their living room into a, a giant you know a you know lake and it's all under indoors you know with these lavish lives and i'm thinking oh that's sick at the same time as cool you know and man that's kind of cool and sick that 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 one room could save a nation. Just that room. Few things get me upset like, like this sort of stuff does. I'm just saying. You ain't heard nothing yet. God responds with three things in chapter three. They say, God, where's the justice? Where's your righteousness in this? God responds. He says, I'm sick of it. And I'll tell you what my response is. Chapter 3, verse 1, this is my response, God says. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the first thing that God says to the problem of pain and suffering and injustice. He says, I'm coming. Help us on the way. He tells them, This is 450 years, 350 years before Christ. This is the last book of the Old Testament. After this, God is literally silent with the Israel people in Judah for the next 400 years until a messenger shows up and his name is John the Baptist. This messenger then begins to prepare the way for a greater messenger who is Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy, the last Old Testament prophecy of the coming of of Jesus. There's actually three people mentioned in this one verse. God says, are you sick of the pain and suffering? Well, hold on, help us on the way. There will be justice. He says, first of all, I will. That means God Almighty is talking here. He says, there is a plan. Uh, There is rescue coming. He says, I will. And then he says, send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That's John the Baptist. I've got some additional verses in there. He is called the messenger. He is the one who's come to prepare the way for the Messiah. So that is a prophecy of John the Baptist. And then he says on top of that, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. So he says, I will send a messenger and then I will come. He says, then the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. That's when Jesus literally walked right. I need to stop saying literally. I know My wife is trying to help me. I can't, I literally cannot stop it. She gave me, I told you last week, it's a work in progress. Um, He says, the one you are seeking will come to his temple. That's, That's referring to when Jesus actually walked into the temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is interesting. This is God 
calling this messenger, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Lord. God calling the Messiah God. That is so cool. That's one of those rare moments where the divinity of Christ is proclaimed by God himself. Quite unique. So Jesus comes and they're saying, God, we're crying out for justice. God says, well, number one, I am coming. But when you get here, stand back because he's coming as a fire. Two types of fire. A refiner's fire and a consuming fire. And this is what he says. But he says in verse 2, he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? I mean, stand back because it's going to be harsh. He says, who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire of or a launderer's soap. That means he's going to come to cleanse us. See, that's what Christ did on the cross. He died for our sins to wash us clean through the blood of the lamb. We are made new. We are made clean. We are made fresh. The old is gone. The new has come. He says, the Messiah, the messenger, I myself am coming as one who will refine you, cleanse you. He explains, he says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, those that are called of God to be the the banner standards, the banner lifters, and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. That means through the blood of Christ, we are clean and able to worship God with a pure heart. And he says, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Here's the first thing. He will come as a refining fire, a refiner's fire, cleansing and burning away the impurities of our life. That's exactly what Christ does. And when you give your life to Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, to refine us, to cause us to become more like Him, to purify the impurities of our life. He says, I'm coming to change the hearts of people. Change and injustice begins with the change of a heart. And then he says this, not only am I coming as a refiner, but I'm coming as a consumer of a, not only a refining fire, but a consuming fire. He says this, so I will come to put you on trial. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean this is about us? The injustices of the world are about you and me. He says, I'm coming to put you on trial. You will either be purified by the refining fire or you will become one who will be put on trial by the consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. That means he's holy. He's righteous. He is the one who is unlike any other. He cannot change who he is. He is pure and holy. That's good news for us, and it's bad news for a lot of us. Because a holy God does not wink at injustice, oppression, or sin in our life. God does not go, ah, good job, good effort. You had a good heart. Because regardless of our intentions or our motives or lack of, without Christ we are still sinners who will one day have to stand before a God who is holy. Pretty intense. So you have a choice. You can either meet the refiner fire or you can stand before the consuming fire. And this is what he says. I'm coming. Some will be refined. Some will be consumed. He goes on in verse 5. Who are these people that he's coming to judge? Who are those that don't want to face off the consuming fire? He says, I will come to put you on trial. I will come to bring justice. The idea is court, justice. You'll stand before the great judge. He says, I will be quick 
to testify against sorcerers. That's those who practice divination, the occult, basically seeking spiritual powers outside of God for their life. If you're dabbling or involved in that, stay away. It is not God's plan, desire for your life. He says, I will come to testify against the sorcerers, uh, against the adulterers, that's those who are unfaithful, who live treacherous lives with those around them, and perjurers, that's the disloyal, the deceptive, the word breakers, those who cannot be trusted with their words, and against those who defraud laborers of their wages. Now, this is what's happening in the Congo right here. You've got millions, this is happening all over the world. People are being put to work, slave labor, or child forced labor, or just forced labor, given a few dollars, and then selling to a company or corporation for millions and billions of dollars. He says, I am coming to, to judge those people who work hard, but yet they're used for other people's selfishness. He says, I will come to judge those who oppress those individuals. He says, I also come to judge those who oppress the widows and the fatherless. That's code for people who are hurting and need help. That's that's code for people who can't, in their culture, care for themselves and who are poor and hurting. And he says, and I will come to judge those who deprive the foreigner among you in justice. Those who treat displaced people unfairly. And then he says, don't you fear me? This is like, I'm coming. This injustice you're crying out to me? Well, I'm coming but it's going to be in large part about you, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the second thing. Those who treat others unjustly and do nothing to help those in need, justice is coming your way because here's the second thing. When you look at the injustice, you are to be going. You are to be going. You are to be doing something. If you don't like the world in its pain and suffering, if you look at the issues in in Africa or anywhere else in the world, if you look across town and go, man, that's just sad. Well, guess what? God says, well, then go. (laughs) Like I said, this, this is the sort of thing that really gets me fired up. He says, you are the ones to care. You are the ones to do something. And, and we say, well, uh, you know, I, I, aren't we just supposed to just be Christians? We don't have to be doing anything, right? False. We are who we are because Christ has made us. We are to just be his children. But because we are his children, we, do, we don't do anything for his love. We do it because we love. We don't go and make a difference or care about others because I have to do something. But because the Spirit of God in us is calling us to do something. This is, you know, this is crazy. So you don't need a voice from God to do something. Do you need a voice from God to go to the movies? Do you say, God, should I turn on the TV and watch this program? You don't ask for a voice of God to brush your teeth or to watch TV or to go to work. You don't wait for a voice of God. God, what should I be wearing? Should I wear these shoes or these? You don't need a voice of God to do something for God. It's already told in the Word of God that we are to be doing something. But yet we're waiting for some audible voice because we're lazy butts and don't want to do anything. It's inconvenient. And we don't want to be hassled with our routine. 
Many of us clapping are part of that party. We are guilty of this. The word of God for many of us is not enough. We're waiting for a voice where here's the voice of God. Do something. This is Malachi, the messenger. He says, do something. Somebody answer your phone. Psalm 140, (laughs) verse 12 says this. I know the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. We are to be his hands. Deuteronomy 15 says this, verse 7. If there is a poor man among you, one of your brothers, in any of the towns of the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand to your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and generously lend to him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. This is, we can ignore this or accept and walk out God's word in our life. To complain about the injustices of our life while ignoring the injustices that we can fix is sin. We are so dialed into our own life, we neglect those around us of those who are in need. Jeremiah 22, 3 says this. It says, do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also, do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in his place. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it will. It was well with him. He pled the cause of the afflicted and the needy. Then it was well. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Is this not what it means to know me, to care and to do what we can to help the oppressed, the hurting, the confused, the poor. The great mission and the commission of Christ is that the entire of Scripture is wrapped in this go. Go love, go teach, go help, go set free. By my hands, by my feet, we are to be His hands and feet to bring hope and healing. First sermon Jesus ever preached in a church Luke 4.18, he grabs the book of Isaiah. He goes back to his hometown. He walks into the room and the culture is there. People who have something to share can come up front and read from the scrolls and then teach on it and then they discuss it. Well, Jesus gets up, he walks to the front, he grabs the book, the scroll of Isaiah. He opens up. And he says this, he reads this out of Isaiah. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading Isaiah. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then the story says that he then closes that and he goes and sits down. They begin to look at each other like, what is that all about? And then Jesus, still seated He says, oh, by the way, that's me. It's come. I have arrived. I am that one that you're looking for. Now, they got all frazzled and and crazy about it, but the, the interesting thing about this is that this is the mission that we are on. This is the mission of Christ. This is our mission. He has given us this mission. You've got a ton of additional verses there. Take the time to look them up. Malachi 3.6 says this. 
He says, we're moving on. He says, uh, I, the Lord, do not change. I say that because this is interesting. Some of you go like, well, that's 3,000 years ago. That's 2,000 years ago. You know, obviously, I can't go to Africa. I can't go to uh, Indonesia. I can't go, you know, I can't go to downtown Garland and help a friendship house. I can't go on some prison ministry. That's, you know, that's for certain individuals. That's for other people to do. That's not for me to do. That's old. This is the old scriptures. This is old test. This is the old body. This is, this is thousand. That's why God says, guys, listen. He says in Malachi, the very next thing he says is, I don't change. He says, what I have for you today, talking to them 2,500 years ago, is the same thing he has for us today. And that is care for those that are hurting, for the injustice, for the poor. This is what's known as the immutability of God. God is unchanging. His holiness, his heart, his justice, his grace, his love, his promises, his passions for the hurting and oppressed. He says, I am changing. This is my view. It has been. It will be my view today. It will be my view tomorrow. It will be my view forever. Malachi 3, he goes on to say, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Judah, are not destroyed. He said, you know what? That's a good thing for you because I've told myself I wasn't going to kill you all. And I'm not going to change. So that's good for you. He goes, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from the decrees. You've not kept them. So he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? This is an interesting thing. He says, here's the deal, guys. He says, because I am faithful, because I am compassionate for those that are hurting, I'm compassionate for you. And if you will return to me, if you will heed my voice, Malachi is speaking the word of God. God says through Malachi, he says, if you will listen to me and return to me, I'll return to you. This is a word for some of you here. This is a word for somebody. God is saying, it's not too late for you to come home. It's not too late for you to return to God. It's not too late for you to listen to God's voice. Know that he loves you and cares for you and has an adventurous life for you. Malachi continues with some of the most misused verses in the Bible. If you feel like the world is unfair, if you feel like there's injustice, he says, not only am I coming, not only are you to be going, but he says this, you are to be generous. The next passage is, as I said, is one of the most misused scriptures in all of the Old Testament to, to hand heavy people into giving what is known as a tithe. Let's read it. It says in Malachi 3, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithe and offering. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now, the Bible covered us all, uh, covers it all, but because uh, talking about money is offensive, we're just going to skip this section. Is that cool? Because I don't want to offend anybody here. So we're just going to go on down to, uh, well, that's the end of this week. So obviously we can't do that. Malachi 3 is used to browbeat giving. Reminds me of a story. A man called the church and he says, um, you know, a lot of churches have been accused of misuse of funds and having a, an, an insincere, poor motive. A man calls the church. He says, can I speak to the head hog at the trough? The secretary says, uh, would you like to speak with the pastor? And he says, yeah, let me speak to the head hog at the trough. The secretary answered, well, if you mean the preacher, we would prefer that you refer to him as the pastor or brother. But I um, will get you 
him. And he goes, well, I prefer uh, that you just let me talk to him because I would like to give $100,000 to the building fund. And the secretary quickly answers, well, hang on, I, I think I see the big fat pig walking in. <laughs> let me explain what this passage is about, Malachi 3. Churches have this reputation of just kind of being kind of, I don't know, but most churches struggle with money, period. So anytime they can get a handle on getting more, they're not getting rich. They're just trying to build a kingdom. But unfortunately, they've taught some poor, hard-handed, legalistic views. So I want to clarify this. Here's what this passage is about. The tithe means first 10%, means first tenth. And it's found in the Old Testament. Abraham, before the law was ever given, worshiped God to a mystery priest called Melchizedek by giving a 10%, the very best of what he had to this mystery priest who's a picture of Christ in the New Testament. And in Jewish culture, they didn't actually just give 10%. They gave over uh, 38%. It broke down like this. They would give 10% of all produce and livestock for temple service and to the Levites. That's the priest because they weren't allow, allowed to own a home. They were not allowed to own livestock. They were not allowed to uh, own land. All they could do was serve the people. So 10% was given to the temple service for operation of temple worship and to the Levites' life. And, and then another 10% was always given during first uh, uh, feast seasons. And then 10% was given to the poor. And then they had a portion left of all their lands called gleaning, where they would actually round off their fields and leave the corners of their field for the poor, the impoverished, and the foreigners that would travel through. So on average, it was quite easy for most Jewish people at the time of Malachi to be giving anywhere from 38 to 40% of everything they had to the kingdom. Now, if you want to live by the tithe and live by the Old Testament on this, hey, come on, that would be awesome. I don't know anybody that would want to do that, but you know what? God will honor you if you feel like, hey, man, I'm going OT all the way. Let me explain this a little bit. In the Old Testament, the tithe meant basically God, you're first in everything and supplying kingdom ministry and work and, and supplying help for those that are hurting. In the New Testament, the tithe is now written on our heart. The only place it's mentioned is Jesus in the book of Luke where he says, yeah, the tithe is fine, but you're neglecting the more important things, caring for the poor and caring for the widow and the orphans. He says you don't neglect one for the sake of the other. In the rest of the New Testament, the principle is this, they gave everything. Now that's kind of a scary thing. Pastors don't trust people to give from their heart. So what they do is they use the tithe to browbeat people into at least giving 10%. If we can get 10%, that'd be great. Honestly, the average church survives on 2% of the people. The average Christian gives 3% of anything they have of their income to those that are in need. The average Christian, the average non-Christian gives 2% of everything they have in a, in a year to those that are in need. So if a church can get, if a pastor can, you know, elbow uh, a, a flock into giving, you know, 9% into 10%, we're like, well, man, maybe we can keep the lights on another week. I would, the purpose of Malachi 3 is not to talk about the tithe. He's saying there's injustice in the world, and you want to know why? Because you're selfish. 
because you haven't learned the principle of being a generous giver in the normal areas of life to see life change happen through the resources that are mine anyways that I've given to you to keep and to hold. This is what it says in Deuteronomy uh, 10. It says, the Lord your God to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and earth and everything in it. So everything you have and don't have, that car, those objects, that TV, that cell phone that was bought and, and built on the backs of violence in the Congo, those things are not yours. They're the Lord's. Remember, it all belongs to him. Malachi 3, 8 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. You say how? By the tithe and the offering. See, this is the point. It's never about a dollar amount. It was never about a dollar amount. Otherwise, it said, you're robbing me by the tithe. 10%, we're good to go. We're good. He says, you're robbing me because you're not a generous person. The tithe and the offering. The tithe is basically the starting point. The offering is anything that's led on your heart. That's basically what it means. The tithe is the standard to where you walk on. It's not the ceiling with which to reach. It's the floor on which we walk. He says the tithe is the place you start. If you don't know how to give, you just give sacrificially. Give from your heart. There's no law. This is not a condemning word. This is God saying, you know what? Just be generous. Be a generous person. Start with something simple like 10% and work from there. This is not about a money. People say, well, I give my 10%. Well, good. But you might still be robbing God because you might still be a very stingy person. He goes on to say, verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's the place where the grain, the oil, the meat, the olives were kept, stored for temple operations and to give to the poor in the community. He says that there may be food in my house, that it's ready to meet the needs of those in need. He said, test me in this, says the Lord, if I will not throw open the floodgates of it and pour out so much blessing that you won't even have to, uh, to store it all, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields and not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. By the way, Lord Almighty means boss. He says, uh, he says, this is not about giving to get. This is about giving to give. And then he says this. This is how we know. We already talked to him about that, and it came on anyhow. Verse 12, it says, Then the nations will call you blessed, and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He says this, If you are a generous person, the nations will be blessed. That's what it's about. It's not, God, I want to be a generous person so I can have more. I give to receive. No, you give to change the world. That's what this is about. I love this passage. I love this story. I love that when you preach through the Bible, you are instructed to teach. Did advertisements come up or something? You guys were kind of smiling. I love that when you just preach through the Bible, we're told what to believe. I'm not telling you what to believe. The scriptures are teaching us. We can't miss what Malachi is saying. He's saying, be generous. Here's some, uh, you got some extra notes in your, in your, in your uh, uh, worship guide. Here's a couple of verses. Proverbs 22, 9 says, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Deuteronomy 15, 10 says, You shall give generously to your poor brother, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because this thing the Lord your God will bless you with all your work and with all your undertakings. Proverbs 19, 17 says, He who is gracious to the poor lends to the poor, and he will pay him for his good deed. Give us your feedback. Here's the bottom line. You 
and others suffer because you're stingy. That's what God is saying. The world is suffering and cursed. Your life, you can't get it together because you're stingy. And he says, not being generous and helping others is robbing God. I've got some additional verses there. God quite takes it quite personal. Because when you neglect the poor, God says, you neglect me. That's what Jesus said. And when you give and help those who are oppressed, you're giving and helping me. That's what Jesus said. Here's the last thing. It's three responses from God plus one. And that is, not only did God say to them, I'm coming, and Jesus is on his way. Not only are you to be going, not only are you to be generous, but this is the last thing. Jesus told us this, and he says, I will be coming again. I will be coming again. There will be a day when every one of us will stand before Jesus. And we look at the pain, the suffering, the injustice, and you can either turn your head and ignore it, but one day you will not be able to turn your head away and ignore Jesus Christ who will be standing before you. And at that moment, we have to respond to the life that we've been given, the blessings we've been given, and this opportunity and the salvation that we've been freely given. That's what it says in Revelation. It says, He, Christ Jesus, will remove all our sorrows. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the world and its evils are gone forever. When he returns, suffering and evil will be done away with once and for all. God is not slow. He is coming. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some have understood slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So a day will come when Christ will return. Pain and suffering will be done away once and for all. Until then, we are to be his hands and feet as men and women who are followers of Christ. Apart from Christ, you have an opportunity. You know, he's waiting to relieve that suffering, possibly for your sake, so that you might know him today. It could be tomorrow could be 20 years from now. But he's waiting so that many, many more, many in Africa, many in our neighborhood, many of your neighbor across the street might know and repent and turn to Jesus and find the life giver, the lover of their soul. So let's pray. What is God talking to you and telling you today? We're running pretty late on time, but I felt like this was important enough to share as much as I could. Two, two things today, heads bowed, is number one, some of you, God is moving on your heart. It's time to do something. Do something. We watch the stories, we cry, we get sad, we watch the videos, see the pictures, we hear the stories, we know a neighbor is in pain, God says, well then do something. That's the first people. Some of you need to do something even if it's a baby step with a 777, or maybe it's a big giant step. Second thing, some of you here need to know that there's a God that cares for you and loves you and wants you to know his life and that there are truly believers that care for you in this room. And I would like to give you that chance to know him right now. So let's just pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me so that I might be forgiven. Cleanse me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I want to walk with you. Teach me how.
to make a difference in this world and in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.